welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us. There are very few job titles in the hairdressing world that carry with them the responsibility of not just keeping a legacy alive, but also having the courage to evolve and reinvent it to maintain its relevance in a fast-changing world. Perhaps the most significant job that carries that responsibility is being the international creative director of Sassoon, a title that has only ever been held by four people. The first was Roger Thompson, then Christopher Brooker, Tim Hartley, and Mark Hayes. The Sassoon brand started when Bidel Sassoon opened his first salon in Bond Street, London, in 1954. And here we are, 66 years later, and the Sassoon brand is still arguably at the top of the tree in many ways, and still very much a major force to be reckoned with. My guest on today's podcast is a good friend and current international creative director of Sassoon Salons and Schools, Mark Hayes. In today's podcast, we will discuss what is creativity and how do you direct the creative process, how we can all contribute to making hairdressing a more desirable career choice, and how training is changing with new attitudes and new technology, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Hayes. Thank you very much, Anthony. It's lovely to be here. It's it's great. I wish we'd been recording the last half hour as our, as our little <laughs> warm-up, uh, but we can... We can, <laughs> we, we can jump straight in, sort of where we left off, okay? No, so let me start off by asking you, you know, personally, I mean, there's no point in avoiding the elephant in the room, which is COVID. Um, how are you personally dealing with COVID? Um, because we've just had a, an extension announced to our lockdown now until the middle of March or something. I mean, yeah. and this is a, this is a year. I mean, what, what sort of you know toll is it taking on you? Well, I'm trying to avoid getting it. First of all. Yeah, yeah, that'd be helpful. That's what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with it by trying to avoid it. To be honest, yeah. Um, no, I mean it's you know, I mean it's bloody awful, isn't it? It's it's first of all, it was kind. Of, I mean, I, I was thinking about that this morning. Um, first of all, you sort of weren't really, you didn't really get what it was. And then you thought it would be over in a couple of weeks or a month mm. or so. We'll all be back to work, you know, March 2020 um, or April 2020. Then it kind of lasted longer than you thought but it, the sun was shining it was a, an absolutely blinding spring and summer in in the uk so you kind of went with it we started to soon online pretty much around that time and started doing demos and i can remember quite clearly last year being stood in my my conservatory doing a, a haircut absolutely boiling when the rest of the family were out in the back garden sort of sunning themselves to be honest, it was kind. Of, although it was horrible, you know, it was it was obviously horrible. And, and as as the gravity of the situation started to become apparent, um, you know, and the seriousness of the whole thing became became more and more, you know, globally and everything else, it started to become super somber. And and I think 
towards the end of last year, it just became, you know, awful, like awfully depressing. And then we all went back to work. Then we were all back off again. And then we, you know, the new year started with um, awful news of another lockdown. And um, and here we are, you know, a month into the new year. Everyone's at home. It's um, it's just really difficult to. Tracy and I were talking about it the other day. Tracy, my wife, and I were talking about it the other day, and we were saying it's difficult to sort of sometimes see an end to it. Yeah. You know, and even when the end, the end of it, what is the end of it going to be? Is it going to be go back to work but masks and distancing, and is it gradually going to get back to some kind of normal or? You know, it's it's a kind of it's very serious. You know, it's really serious, and I know that's a stupid thing to say, but I tend, me personally, I tend to sort of try and sort of skip through life on a kind of a wave of optimism. Yeah, but it's kind of, it's kind of difficult when you're hearing, you know, two million people have died and a hundred thousand this, and so it's kind of heavy. It's kind of heavy. Um, yeah. And I suppose like everybody else, I have good days when I get up and I think, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you know. And then I have other days when I get up and I'm like, God, you know, another day at home. It's hard. It's it's pretty hard. I'll tell you what, though, my sock drawer is absolutely immaculate. <laughs> it's, I've never had such organised footwear. <laughs> I was going to start doing. I was decide, I was going to start doing them alphabetically. <laughs> okay, so every cloud's got a silver lining. Um, oh, I try and I try and look at life like that. To be honest, yeah, to yeah. Be honest. A, a lot of the people listening to this, a lot of the salon owners I talk to, you know, they've got small businesses. You know, they've got one salon, half a dozen staff, or something. And 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 I say to them, like, you know, what's really important during this is that you communicate with your team. That you keep your team engaged, that you're, you're, you know, you're doing a regular Zoom call with them, that you're, you know, that you're doing stuff with your team for their own sort of, you know, mental health and and uh, you know to, to keep them engaged with the business. And I also say to the, to small salon owners that, you know, you need to also be engaged with your clients because if if you're not, then when this is all over, you're not going to have the business to go back to. So yeah. I want to ask you that question from from your perspective. I mean, Sassoon, you got salons in the UK and Germany, United States, Canada. Um, how are you as a company dealing with uh, lockdown, which is still happening in various countries? Uh, and how do you keep your team engaged and how do you communicate with clients? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, obviously being on the creative side of the company, very visual side of the business, do you know what I mean? So it's difficult, you know, without, you know, we, we kind of thrive on being together and sharing ideas and, and however, However well you are, or however good you are at you know at online communication, it's not the same as being together, you know, mm. physically being together because it's because you miss that I don't know that easy kind of interaction that you know when you have a pause on a Zoom call, someone feels like they've got to fill it with a, with something. You can't just yeah. sit and just think for a moment. You know, it's got to. So I think it's tricky. I mean, yes, obviously, social media is has been the the kind of um, the saviour, I suppose, in many ways of this, because otherwise, how on earth would you communicate with with the outside world? So yeah, Zoom, my Teams. I've never, I've never known there were so many different ways of of connecting online. So many, so many different ways to learn things. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Um, so I think all of the, all of the above. You know, keeping keeping contact with the team is super important. Although there is part of me that kind of thinks just give. 
people their own space as well somehow. You know, I kind of, I remember when, when the first lockdown happened and all of a sudden you were supposed to have learned the piano and uh, you know, discovered <laughs> Einstein's theory of relativity. within And like, tidied your sock <laughs> and tidied, yeah, managed to squeeze the sock drawer in, you know, in the first month or so. And I was like thinking, yeah. you know what? Yes, I get it. I get, I get why people would be saying that, use your time wisely. <laughs> but also take a moment to kind of not necessarily relax as such, but just contemplate like what's going on and what's, you know, it makes you sort of think, doesn't it? What's important to you and mm, yeah. you know, what you, what I suppose what your priorities are and give people a bit of room. I, I, to be honest, I'm not the sort of leader who, well, I'm not the sort of leader. No, that was it. I'm not the sort of leader. We'll just leave people hanging there. <laughs> I'm not the sort of I'm going to finish that sentence. I'm not the sort of leader that that sort of is on to everyone every every two minutes of the day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I tend to, I tend to, I, t- I value my own time. You know, I value my own. I'm quite happy on my own. I'm quite, I'm quite easy to keep, I can keep myself occupied with stuff. So I kind of value that, and I value, and I obviously am sensitive to the fact that other people would value their own time. But it's getting to the point now where I'm going to start stepping up calls with the team because I do think, you know, come spring, we will be back in in work. Touch wood. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd like to think that we can kind of almost hit the ground running with, hmm. um, you know, we've got shoots planned, collection launches. We've got all that stuff in the pipeline. Yeah. Because I think, I think, it, I think people with Sassoon, People expect a certain level. Do you know what I mean? I'm very conscious of that. Yeah. I don't think we could sort of come back, come back into work, and on day one say, right, so um, what should we do then? You know, I want to have a plan. <laughs> what, what do you think we should do? I want to have a plan before we get back. So hit the ground running and do and and get straight into, you know, cutting some hair and doing some cool things. And okay. Yeah. Well, well, well let, let, let me jump in there with that. Um, I, I want to talk about, and this isn't really a question, but I, I want to talk about creativity and the creative process. So so this isn't a question, and I've got no idea how you're going to answer it, but I know that if I said to you, it's talk about question, creativity. Well, yeah, you know you will. I, I know that something right. profound will, 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 will come out. Um, be because I, I know that if I say to you to talk about creativity and the creative process, I know that you would have something, you know, Relevant, something profound to say, but you know, no, no pressure here, though, Mark. Okay? I was going to say, don't, don't build it up too much. <laughs> creativity. Oh my goodness. Well, I suppose creativity. I mean, the, the best definition I've heard of creativity is an original idea that has value. That's the that's the best definition I've heard of it. Because yeah. I think, I mean, I, I'll talk about it from a hair perspective, but it will kind of apply anywhere. Whenever I'm teaching, or not whenever, sometimes when I'm teaching people, someone will say to me, oh, Mark, I want to do something really creative. And I sort of, and for a while I kind of went with it and I thought, oh, yeah, okay, okay. And then I sort of thought, what do they actually mean? I want to do something really creative. And normally what they mean is I want to do something really complicated and really, you know, like, you know, with loads of angles and bits and this and that and everything everywhere. And I sort of thought, you know, they're, they're confusing creativity or something that's creative with something that's complicated. Yeah. You know, whereas really creativity, if you take the premise 
of the creativity is an original idea that has value. In terms of a haircut, if you're talking about a haircut, a haircut that has value is something that suits someone, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you know, because no point in totally. doing it on somebody if, yeah, yeah. if they if they look at themselves in the mirror and say you've made me look like a that word we can't say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not creative at all. That's just that's just bad decision making. It's bad. Yeah. It's, it's just bad. You know. Yeah, so tasteless. if a hair, yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, if a haircut, well, even tasteless can be kind of cool in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, anyway, creativity. If a haircut that has a value is one that suits someone, then that's kind of what hair, that's what, what it is, isn't it? Yeah, You know, exactly. creativity. Yeah. If creativity is an original idea that has value, then it has to mean something in a positive way to someone because value is something that's, that's worth something. So I think for me, in my advanced years in the industry and, you know, having spent most of my life in the creative feet, in the creative side of the business and always thinking, acting, well, trying to act and behaving and, and representing creativity. I do think it has a lot to do with having an empathy with whatever you're doing, having a connection with whatever you're doing. You know, there was this, there's this amazing thing. I, I watch loads, like you, I watch loads of stuff like this because it fascinates me, the way people's minds work. Yeah. And there was a guy who was talking about the – I don't know if you've heard, read this, Anthony. A guy who talked about the flow, people being in the flow. Have you read this? It's a guy whose surname I couldn't even begin to pronounce, let alone spell. Okay. Yeah, I'll yeah. send it to you. I'm it's on one of those te- yeah, talks. It's amazing. Yeah. And he talks about the be, when people are absorbed in what they do, they enter a state that's called flow. And in that, in that flow, time, like, slips, like all of a sudden, you realize an hour has gone past and it feels like a minute. You know? mm. And I think, it is, I think it is entitled flow, as in flow, the, you know, like a flowing river, as opposed to the name flow. It's yeah, not about yeah. your auntie flow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if I, uh, I'll search that on TED Talks, flow, because that sounds really interesting. Yeah, no, it is. It's super, yeah. super. I mean, the guy's delivery is totally matter of fact. It looks like yeah. it's just come out of a... I don't know, a car workshop. It looks like he's yeah. just been fixing carburettors or something. Yeah, leather, yeah. He's like a little old guy. I think he's Polish or something. And he's wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> and he just kind of starts into this thing. And you're thinking, Jesus, what's this going to be? And he just kind of delivers this stuff about, about creativity, about flow, basically. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, that's the essence of it. And I think creativity is when you enter that that situation that kind of mindset when you're absolutely at one with what you're doing Mm. and you produce your best work because you're totally absorbed you're totally focused and you're totally as as yeah at one I can't think of a better way to describe it with with the particular thing that you're doing and I think all the people that I've respected over the years at whatever it is, whether it's cutting hair or, you know, whatever, I watch them and they have got this quality about them when they do stuff. Mm. You know, I remember, you know, I like football, right? So so when I used to go and watch football, I used to, you know, sit and watch Tottenham Hotspur and I'd watch someone like Glenn Hoddle, who no one will know who he is, but Google yeah. him, 70s footballer. And some of the things he could do with the football were just, and I used to go out on the green with my mates afterwards and watch it mm. and think how I'm, you know, trying to do it. So I think it's not only what they do, it's also what they inspire in others, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's that yeah. kind of thing. You want to be 
you know, I remember the first time I saw some of the creative team on stage cutting hair. And I thought, I want to be a, you know, Daryl Benson, I remember watching him as an assistant. He was cutting this client's hair, bright red hair. I remember her so clearly. And it, I remember his hands were huge. They almost looked like joke hands, you know? They were like, <laughs> you know, yeah. they were like, you know, yeah. like Kenny Everett. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. It was almost yeah. like, but he had huge hands and his hands seemed to sort of encompass this woman's head. And he was cutting these angles into hair. It was during the time of the concave, you know, 70s, mid-70s. Yeah. And I just remember being fascinated with watching him do what he did. Uh, didn't understand it at all, obviously. Yeah. I've always been, I've always been into making things, you know, where the origami, I love, you know, just taking something simple and just sitting and you enter that, you know, and I never knew what it was, but I used to sit and my mum used to say I could sit for hours, you know, I would sit for hours and just make things on my own, not talking, just totally absorbed in what I was doing. Mm. And I think I've still got that um, capacity now, mm. you know, to, to do that. And I think, and I think that's what creativity is. It's not about how mental something is. Yeah. It's not about how crazy it's just you look at something and you think that is so beautiful, whatever it is. You know, there's a, there's a friend of ours, Sue, you know, Sue, Sue Gunn, who now does yeah. beautiful ceramics. Yeah. And when I look at what she's done, you can see that she's put herself into it. And it's so mm. beautiful and it's so kind of fragile and organic at the same time. And you, you just get a lovely sort of feeling for it, you know, that, that kind mm. of. So creativity is nothing to do with being mental. In fact, it's yeah. pretty much the opposite. The opposite. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the, that's the thing, like when a lot of hairdressers might say to you or in my, you know, former life, I want to do something really creative. What they often mean is something that no one's ever seen before. And often, <laughs> often there's a very good reason why <laughs> no one's ever <laughs> seen it before you know because yeah, it's exactly. mental for the sake of being mental yeah exactly. do you know what i mean like it's and i and i always say that when we do you know when, when we do and i've done that obviously you and i we've both done, yeah, I've done hair yeah. shows around yeah. the world and you can do like you know haircut with pete you know especially in the 80s good crikey you know thank god there weren't mobile phones around in the 80s, <laughs> you know some of the stuff um but I, and i always say that at the end of the day where you know, the, the most successful haircuts that you do on stage is just a you know a simple line with a you know to the corner of the mouth and then like a really beautiful fringe dark hair normally and you can see the audience go wow look at that you know mm. box pop like a box pop you know that sort of yeah, thing yeah. because yeah. consumers when you do a consumer show they look at it and it makes their hair look beautiful you yeah. know it moves it's shiny it's swingy it's it's kind of almost like the uh, the uh, archetypal shampoo commercial hair you know it's just beautiful yeah. condition yeah 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 and they love it because of that and hairdressers love it because they know how difficult that is to do yeah and, and that yeah. is 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 creativity it's the subtlety isn't it it's exactly. it's a, it's yeah. it's like yeah. you'll see sometimes someone will do a haircut like i was i was good at cutting hair i was never that good at finishing hair and someone no, would come that. along yeah oh thanks for that Mark. Uh, <laughs> no, someone would come along and they would just push it a little bit. They just part something. They just uh, they, yeah. they'd put their hands in, and and they'd do very little to it. But you'd look at it and you go, "Well, why did I think of that?" And and wow. it is just that subtlety, and I, I love that. And and yeah. and that's someone who's totally 
in the flow, like you talked about, right? And I, I, yeah. I love that. And it's, it's very much a, a gift, isn't it? It is. I, I call it sometimes magic hands when we're talking about hairdressing. That there are some people that have magic hands. They just put their hands yeah. in there. They move something around a little bit, and you go, "Oh my god, that's that's yeah. taken it from one level to another level." Which is, I think, special. yeah. There, there's a, there's a. I mean, in my career, there's been certain people that that had the ability to do that. Yeah, you know, there was a there was a, a, a gentleman called Ray Allington, yeah, who I worked with for a number of years early on, and then a bit, a bit later, and he was probably one of the well, in fact, he's probably the best session worker I've ever seen. Tragically, yeah. he died. He died super young, although he would he he would now be up there with Guido and you know yeah. Eugene and Sam and all those people. He he was that good, and he had. The, he, I remember him saying to me, "When you're dressing a haircut for a camera, you have to give the camera the opportunity to find something." And he wasn't a, the thing was with Ray is, I mean, he was super funny, super funny guy, yeah, uh, amazingly talented. So he wasn't a big instructor as such. He just used to do it, and you used to learn by just watching it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He said to me, "You've got to give the camera the opportunity to see what you see." And what he meant was, obviously, we've got two eyes. We can, we can, um, we've got perspective, like depth of field, that sort of stuff, which a camera doesn't have. Yeah, one yeah. Eye. So it can't see, you know. And I, re- I remember for years dressing hair for camera, and I'd look at the hair and I think that was that was quite cool. Mm. And then they, the, a photographer would take a picture of it, and you look at it on the screen, and you're like, oh, um, what's happened here then? <laughs> doesn't, look quite, doesn't look quite the same. And you, and then I realised that you've got yeah. to help the camera see what you see. So he said, you've got to push holes into the hair and it's about the yeah. holes and what actually makes, you know, on short. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You have to push your, push your hands into the hair. I'm doing Anthony will tell you, I'm doing this kind of, push your hands into the hair mm-hmm. as if you're shampooing your own hair, but without rubbing it too much. And it yeah. just disturbs the surface when you want that look, that's how you do it. And then yeah. there's other people like me and, you know, obviously Tim and I worked together for, for years and um, did so many things together. And Tim was was great at that as well. You know, he'd just want to go over to a head of yeah. hair. And very often he'd put his hands on either side and he'd do what we, what did we call it? We called it the, wind, the windscreen wiper or something like that, I think. Because you kind of, you go from either side with your hands and then just cross them over the head and then go yeah. backwards and forth yeah. with your hand. And eventually you've got to persevere with it because eventually it starts to make a nice texture and a nice shape. And then you, the other thing that most people, that I've learned is, and Stevie Hughes, the photographer, taught me this. He said, you have to look at the hair and squint. So you're looking through your eyelashes. So all you see is then the silhouette. You don't see the detail, then you see the silhouette. So yeah, it's all yeah. those things. And, and listen, I've been lucky enough. Yeah, no, that's, but, that, you know, that, that's, that's really interesting. I, I could remember, you know, when I had my salons, um, there was a coffee shop across the road from one of my salons. And I'd often go and sit over there and, and get my laptop out or something and, and, and do some work. But I could see people coming out of the salon. And it was an observation I had one day that was, was you know, blatantly obvious in front of me all the time. But it just all of a sudden, the reality of it hit home. And it was this. is that In a salon, a hairdresser will, will go to great lengths to make that hair look their idea of perfect. And and they'll ask the client, you know, you're happy with that? And they go, oh, yeah, I love it. And then and then they get up, they pay the bill, they walk out the door, and they walk up the street. And what they would do straight away was they would look in shop windows at themselves, and very quickly they'd sort of shake their head or they'd stick their hands in there, they'd mess it up, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. basically they'd bring it to life. 
And I can remember yeah. looking at them thinking that that is what is special is that when, when someone brings some of them to it, some life to it, some movement to it, that, that it, takes, oh, yeah. it takes it to another level of beauty. And that's what it's really all about. Well, I think that I think that's a very good point because I think as well, you know, to, uh, going talking about creativity, I think as well. Obviously, I've met thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of hairdressers over the years, and um, and I've said, I've probably said this to you before, but I'll keep it, I'll keep it brief. Um, is that the the best people, the people who are the most successful, who do the most beautiful, work, who are probably the most successful in, in terms of their career are the ones who have the connection with the person who they're working on. Mm. You know, they actually, they actually consider what that person wants. I've met loads of hairdressers who are good at cutting hair, but they, I'm not saying they don't, they don't care about the person in the chair, but that yeah. was their, their priority was to show how great they were at doing what they do. So you'd have this, mm. you know, I've, I've seen a few, few people do awful things in the name of creativity, and you're like, that's just, it's like an assault, actually. It's not creative. Yeah, but yeah. the best people, the best people, the people who do things that I, I look at and think that is so cool, you know, so beautiful on that person, not mm. necessarily the most outrageous, as you said, not the most complicated or this, but just looks amazing on them is the, are the ones that that know whether it whether they know it naturally or they've been taught it or it's just part of their personality is that the success of their work is going to mm. largely be governed by the way that person, wear, by the way the subject wears it. Because yeah. if they love it, they'll wear it beautifully. They'll love their mm. hair. And as you say, they'll put their hands in it and they'll kind of push it back or whatever they do to it, whatever. Mm. And they'll make it even more than it could have been before. If they don't like it, it's they don't touch it. They don't even look at it. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a hat I mean? on top of their head. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, a hat yeah. that they've come, yeah. that's been deposited on their head and they're like, I wish I could take this off. But yeah. They, you know. So yeah, I think yeah. I think that's... If you know, if, if we were talking about creativity in terms of, and I think that's true with anything, you know, if you if you treat the creative process as a collaboration, you're far more likely to get a more positive result than you are if you're just trying to sort of show off. And I've, I've probably done it in my career. I try not to, but I think I, I really believe now. When I, you know, obviously now it's less about me now and more about the team in a sense you know in terms of doing something with hair i always say to the stylist and they say oh, i've got this idea i want to do this that and the other i'm like okay is she is she is she or he or she into it and if they kind of look at me i'm like let's go back and just see you know see what they're into yeah. and you you kind of bring them back to the fact that this is you know this is a collaboration the success of it is going to be how they how they wear it and generally if you do that you do something that's more suitable and as you know, there's nothing better when you finish cutting someone's hair than if they turn around and say, thanks, Anthony, or thanks, Mark, I love it. So cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Matter, exactly. You know, you know, that's, the, yeah. that's still the nicest thing, you know, 40-odd yeah. 40 40 odd years in. Still the nicest thing is, thanks, Mark, I love it. Yeah, it's that impact you make with a pair of scissors and a either. For those days are long gone, unfortunately. Yeah. unfortunately. Okay. But, All yeah, right. Well, let, let, let me ask you another question. Look, there's so much in there. There's so much in there. We could talk about that for the entire podcast, but but I've got yeah, a sure. list of things uh, that I want to Creativity. I'll tell you the other thing. The other thing I was thinking that's interesting with creativity is that it's it's not necessarily, you know, when people say, oh, you know, you've got to put yourself out there to be creative. You've got to kind of do, 
break new ground and break new territory mm. and do new things. And I kind of think about that. I think, is it? Is it really? Is that what creativity is? Sort of, you know. And they say, oh, you know, you've got to be prepared to make mistakes. And I'm like, hmm, is it? Is it? And I, I think, I mean, I think partly maybe that's in there mm. somewhere. But I don't think, I don't think that's how you become creative by by just doing whatever, you know, because. Mm. You know, and, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, that you shouldn't try and do something new. I'm not saying that at all. But I don't think it's always about breaking new ground. I think it can just be about a lovely connection with someone and producing something really beautiful, whatever, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And that, to me, is creative, you know, creativity, doing what yeah. you know, doing what's I was talking to someone yesterday who I'm actually going to feature on the podcast, um, uh, who you know, a young lady called Jessica Cram. And oh, yeah. um, I was talking yeah, to her the, the other day and because uh, I saw some of her work and I commented on it on social media. I said, that that's you know one of the be- most beautiful haircuts I've seen in ages. And anyway, then I ended up hooking up with her on, online and stuff. And at some point, I'm going to have her on the podcast. But oh, I was talking so to her just, just yesterday. And we were talking about hairdressers who we admire. And I mentioned the name Pam Roscoe. Um, and yeah. she had, she had no idea who Pam was. And uh, anyway, wh- why I'm bringing Pam into the context is this: is that you know she was from that era of hairdressing, you know, in the '80s where I was at Sassoon and you were there, obviously, yeah. and a whole you know bunch of people. And often I used to look at her work, and it had that you know that Sassoon ethos running right down the middle of it, like this is inevitable. But she brought a femininity to it. Is that mm-hmm. the right fe- femininity? I think that's the right word saying that word. Uh, she, she brought a feminine touch to it. She brought a, an element of beauty to it. Whereas I might do something that that really didn't fit that person, uh, and it might be a similar haircut, but it was just the wrong thing at the wrong time on the wrong person. And I, I used to always look at. Well, thanks, Mark. I appreciate no, that. No, but you know, I I was always intrigued by that element of female beauty that she brought to something which is quite unique and the reason i commented on it was because i was talking to jessica about the pictures that she'd done and they were they were strong you know they were you could see that sassoon ethos of cutting hair ran right through them but you could also see a softness about it Uh, and and that's you know a great thing to try and to try and capture isn't it you know I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if it's a feminine, masculine thing or not. I just, I, I think it's a confidence thing. I think Pam was a very. I mean, I worked with Pam super closely. Um, we were both at one time. She was the creative director in charge of the academies, and I was the creative director in charge of the salons. And her, she was a very, like all confident people, she masked certain insecurities about herself, but she was super confident with her hands. And she would kind of what the great thing about her power, I always felt, was she went straight for what she believed in. Mm. You know, she didn't she didn't try and second guess herself. And also she wasn't trying to impress anybody else with what she did somehow. She kind of did it in and of itself. In a way, what we've just been talking about for the person who she was doing. Yeah, 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 exactly. She just did, exactly. She just did beautiful. Yeah. And sometimes she would do something that was totally out of step. You know, we'd all get, I remember you coming into work that day saying, I've got this idea. The rap, I mean, you came up with that, I remember. Yeah. You were saying about the, you know, the balding man. The balding guy with the low part, yeah, yeah. And you came in and we all started, everyone had them. Yeah. 
It was a good yeah. time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was amazing because yeah. it was like a super cool haircut, undercutting and all that. And um, and then she did that that amazing haircut that was featured in British Vogue on a girl called um, Emmy. Yes. Her name was. I remember the one, curly, the curly one, curly yeah. big yeah. thing. And it was completely out of step with what everyone else was doing. But yeah. it was, as you say, it was totally her. So I think those people have that you know people that have got that confidence and they've got that vision to do stuff like that or you know they, yes they 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 kind of give it everything in that moment but i i think they also have that natural empathy with the person who they're working on yeah that's why they're successful is, is that something you can teach can you teach that well i think i don't think you can teach it yes i, th- I think you can I okay. think you can. I think you can teach it by <laughs> beating it into them. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, no, I think what it is, I think you have, you know, I mean, obviously the role that I have at Sassoon is to develop the team, help help the team essentially, just, you know, part of my role. Mm. And you've just got to be very, very steadfast and very clear in your direction to the team when they present work to you, mm. you know, and and I think it's easy if someone shows you a haircut or whatever they've done, they've obviously put a lot of effort into it, and they, you know, they feel very passionate about it. They're showing it to you. You have to be honest with them enough to give them a very clear critique of it. You know, mm. you don't want to annihilate them, which yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, now, sure. but, you know, of course, yeah. you want to encourage them. But at the same time, you can't just go, oh, yeah, it's great, because then you're, you know, you're kind of, you're going with it, aren't you? Whereas what you really have to say is, okay, I see what you've tried to do, you know, probably not in front of the model, probably let the model go at this point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. they talk, and say, so, you know, and Christopher did this to me years and years and years ago when I was showing him stuff. And I remember he once said to me, I want you to take the aggression out of your work. And I didn't think my work was aggressive at all. It probably was, but I, I didn't see it at the time. And I really, I, I, what I try and do now is to direct people into what I can see. And hopefully over the years, I've gained some kind of aesthetic into what I think Sassoon should be. And what, and I just find, you know, I'm, I'm making this a really laboured point, but I'm just really clear with what I like and what I don't like about their work. And they can, you know, they can take it on board and do something yeah. with it, or they can think, yeah. "Oh, Mark doesn't know what he's talking about." The old git, you know, whatever. But I'm honest with them, and I'm, I don't just kind of go with stuff. I'm super, super clear and super honest with what they do because I think then, you, only then, can you help people to grow. Yeah. No point being kind mm. when really. The opposite is what's called for. And I've done that with mm. loads of people and they've all left and gone on to other... <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done... No, I do it every time. Someone shows me something. What do you think? I'll, you know, I'll give it its fair due. I'll take a moment to think and look and hear what they've got to say about it. And then I'll say what I think, you know, in a, in a positive, constructive way. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's what you have to do. So, And I think then, hopefully, over a period of time, people will begin to see um, an improvement in their work. And I don't yeah. mean that I want their work to look like mine. I don't yeah. mean that at all. I think I'm objective enough to be able to appreciate other – I mean, Jessica, the person you mentioned, she's got a beautiful aesthetic. 
and her work is very, very strong, you know, super, super, you know, she likes that. She's almost, she almost reminds me of someone from like the German expressionistic sort of time, you know, Fritz yeah. Lang and that mm. 1920s kind of thing. That's her vibe. So you have to kind of appreciate it from their vibe point of view mm. and just show them where they can improve their aesthetic, not improve it to become more like me. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, a, that's, very, that's really insightful. And I think that's what you know leadership what I mean? is. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah. that is. That is. I mean, it's a, the, your, your title, uh, creative director, you know, yeah. is directing other people to, to yeah. in, a, in, in a direction that you feel. I mean, you don't get given that title, you know, d- just because you're a nice guy. You get given that title because, yeah. you know, some someone acknowledges that you have that responsibility, that legacy. Well, we're going to talk about that later on. But let, let, let me just segue into another question, which is what excites you? about hair and the salon business these days? What it's like, well, they're two different things. What excites me, what excites me about hair is, yeah. I, think, I think really the hair thing, in my mind's eye, as you've asked me that question, I'm thinking of a picture of Peter Lindbergh that he did of, um, of Karen Elson, a black and white picture that he did of Karen Elson when she had a little box bog, and yeah. she was photographed um, as a duo, actually with another model whose name escaped my memory. Um, and they both had little, these little kind of box bobs. And yeah. it's a black and white grainy picture. And the hair's slightly, you know, Peter Lindbergh um, famously hated hairdressers and, well, not hated. He didn't yeah. like hair and makeup being done. He wanted it just to look like as, as though it had happened. And um, so that's what excites me about hair, imagery, taking imagery and working with other people that appreciate great imagery, whatever it is, hmm. and working together with people on that sort of stuff, trying to yeah. develop great imagery. That's what excites me about hair. I'm not trying to, to be honest, I'm not trying to find a new thing. I'm not trying to develop, you know, I, I mean, obviously, if it comes along great. For me personally, I'm just trying to do really cool hair on really cool people that they really like. And if I can do something with a little bit of edge and a little bit of interest and, you know, something that people look at and think, oh, that's, that looks cool. And I'll put a little technique in there that makes the hair do something interesting. That's what excites me about hair. But moreover than that, what excites me about hair is developing other people's talent and technique and eye, etc. The yeah. salon business, what, is it, what excites me about the salon business? Getting, get it, getting it open, that would be, be a start. Yeah. Um, salon business, I, I think, you know, trying to, and I drive myself mad with things like this because I always want to have this solution. You know, I'm one of, I'm, I suppose I'm like a typical man, really. We're, we're, we're problem solvers, aren't we, men, apparently? Yeah. Some, mm. You know, if women come, if women, and I was only talking to Tracy about this this morning, you know, she was, we were saying about the, the, the fact that if Tracy has something she wants to talk about, she doesn't necessarily want me to solve it. Yeah, exactly. She, she wants, wants to be to acknowledged. About. She wants to be her. Exactly. She wants to be Whereas I'll say, whereas I'll say, right. well, what should do it. How we fix you know? that is. <laughs> exactly. I just want to fix it and move on. So, so in a sense, I want, to, yeah. you know, I want to come up with. So I think for me in the salons, I want to find the answer to, for clients having a great visit, or actually, no, before that, I want to find the answer for making Sassoon relevant for today's clientele. And I think it is. I think it's. I think it's more relevant, to be honest. The actual, the premise behind our work, I think, is more relevant yeah. today than perhaps it was when Vidal and his team 
developed it, you know, 65 years ago because it's about functionality. Yeah. And I don't think anyone goes into a salon, any client goes into a salon today and says, that, you know what, you know what I'd really like? I'd like something really complicated that's going to take me hours to do in the morning. And yeah. You know, yeah. They want something that's easy and simple and just something they can swash and leave or whatever that reflects yeah. their personality. So I want to make people aware that Sassoon is absolutely that. That's what it is, you know. And I want to find ways that I can support the salon team, primarily Sassoon, obviously, because that's my company, but generally speaking, find ways that the that clients will appreciate that when they go into a hairdressing salon to have their hair done, cut, coloured, whatever, they are receiving, they, they're getting a person who's spent years training, spends years continually training themselves, put so much effort and, and graft and put so much of their own time into becoming really good at it, that it's more than just a thing that grows out of the top of their head. It's an extension of their personality. There's there's only one saying that I know of that affects your mood. You know, that's that, you know, a bad head, I'm having a bad hair day. I don't sort of hear people say, I'm having a bad shoe day. Because they yeah, just yeah. take the bloody things off and put a new pair on, <laughs> don't they? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm yeah a bad yeah. jacket day. <laughs> what do you know that? Just put another, put one on that fits then. A bad hair day, really, really so I think it's important, you know, I think it's important. And I I'd like to be able to impress that upon the public in a in a in a bigger way than I currently do. And I don't know how. I maybe, you know, the years that I've got left in the industry, maybe that'll be one of my sort of vocations. I've already started doing college talks, talking to young hairdressers. Um I did one yesterday morning to a group of kids who and I talked about Sassoon Legacy. Hmm. But not from just the point of view, oh in the sixties he did this and today it was more about why why he did what he did, why we do what we do today, how it can help you succeed. You know, just trying to help hairdressers realise that, as Vidal always used to say, the power that they have. Yeah. And I think, and I think sometimes the industry undermines itself. And I don't know why, but it does. Yeah, it does, doesn't um, it? Yeah. I, I want to ask you something about you here because you're unusual uh, in, in that, well, you um you, you've had that you've worked for the same company all your life. Do you know oh, what yeah. I mean? You start you started nineteen seventy something, and yeah. you know here we are now, uh, two thousand and twenty one, uh, and and that's unusual. Like young people today will never ever do that. I mean, you look <laughs> at you look at your look at your son uh, Jamie for example. He's already had you know two or three jobs, moved different countries, all that sort of stuff. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. That that is the world we live in now. But what I wanted to ask you about was. I know you've dabbled with photography and stuff, but, uh-huh. you know, my, if, if you ask me this question, okay, so I, I've always had this fantasy about if I could live my life again, what I would love to have done is is go and live in Paris for, you know, uh, three, four, five years as a hairdresser to uh-huh. have learnt a different beauty aesthetic. And maybe this goes back to that thing I said before about I was good at cutting hair, but I wasn't always good at finishing it and i used to really love the way the french used to finish and style hair so there's a part of me that that if i could wind the clock back i'd love to think that i would do that so i'm asking you that question is there anything that you ever wish that you'd explored in hindsight that you haven't done over the course of your career (laughs) yeah 
You should ask Vivian McKinder this question. <laughs> when, I, when I was doing my final test, she did my shinyon for me because I couldn't do it at all. I was I was completely hopeless. And I, I, I sort of wish I'd learned. Yeah, I mean, it, to be honest with you, funnily enough, exactly the same as you. You know, the the I I like you. You know, I used to look at. Um, I mean, people like Mod's hair and Dessange weren't necessarily that different from Sasu. Not not yeah, that yeah. they were they were about cutting, you know, most of it was razoring, but it was simple it was it kind of but the you know Alexandra and those, you know, those yeah. kind of people that really did old school, proper old school dressing hair, I think um is fascinating for me now. But to be honest, yes, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? If I look back on it, it probably would have made me a better all-round hairdresser if I could, you know, dress and set and, and pink curl and do all those things with the ease that I can cut hair. You know, I mm. don't mean to be big-headed there, but, you know, I can cut hair, but I, I'm not really that great at doing, a, you know, chignons and that sort of thing. I wish I could do that. But I think, and I, and I do, part of me thinks, you know, what, what, what would it have been like? But there's also part of me that loves the fact that, I, that And it wasn't, to be honest, it wasn't any conscious decision that I made, you know, that I was only ever going to work at Sasu. Yeah. It just seems to have sort of happened. And every time I've sort of thought about things like you've mentioned, I was either super busy with something I was doing or I was having such a good time with what I was doing that it never, I never really wanted to, it was like, a, you know, I always say like being at Sasu, it's been like a party. I mean, it's not quite that. But I've just enjoyed it so much. I mean, it has been in some instances a bit like that. But um, I've just enjoyed my time with Sassoon so much that there was never really a moment where I thought, you know, I've, I've done this now. I want to move on to something else. And I think, to be honest, you know, we had like literally a few years ago, we had Sharon, Sharon Blaine, who I think is amazing with that. She came and did a couple of days, um, two or three days with with uh, with me and a couple of members of the team, and it nearly killed me. I've, I, I haven't had as big a headache after because I had to really concentrate. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't know what yeah, I, was, yeah. I didn't really know what I was doing, and yeah. she was showing me this style, yeah. and it's a completely different discipline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, completely different discipline to doing air. I mean, I remember at one point I was she, she, I was doing. She was showing me how to do a directional blow dryer. Now, I can blow dry pretty well. So obviously the era that I was an assistant in was when you had to be able to blow dry fireflies and wedges and that sort of stuff. She was showing me this blow dry and I was doing it. And it was it was the preparation for a ponytail. So I yeah. was kind of read with a comb. And I was taking sections and she went, no, darling, it's not a it's not a Sassoon blow dry. Don't take those little sections. Bit thicker sections and get and you know, and I had to be quite heavy with the hair, you know, quite heavy with my hair. Whereas when you're cutting, it's much more delicate kind of yeah. operation. And it was fascinating. So, so in a way, sorry, in a way, I've sort of brought that dressing hair into Sassoon in a way. And, and again, you know, it's a good question that you've asked me because I want to do more of that over the, over the coming years. Hopefully, I'll bring a certain amount of that element into Sassoon because what people don't sometimes realise is that there is such a history of dressing hair in Sassoon. You know, mm. yes, the five point and the Nancy Kwan and all that. But 
there's also the square curls. You know, as we said about Ray Allington, the work that he did, and people like Mitch Barry, who you, I'm sure mm. you remember, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were doing, and Herta Keller, Pat Lewis, you know, the list, I mean, Christopher. Yeah, Christopher great Roger. editorial hairdressers. Yeah, H. Yeah, they were in, the, yeah. H, exactly, sorry, yeah. H. Peters, I mean, goodness me. Renny Gilston, mm. to a certain extent. Yeah, I? definitely, yeah. Bad Mancunian. Um, so there's been this, it's almost like this alternative to soon story, mm. you know what I mean? And because I've yeah. been there for so long, you know, and I've, I've I've kind of totally immersed myself in in the world of Sassoon. I kind of almost see it now in the time, as I say, in the time that I have left with Sassoon, which is probably you know what ten years probably at most, will be to to leave some kind of legacy that sets Sassoon up for the next sixty five years. If you know what I mean, mm. that's cast. Kind of, I see that as my role now. Yes, there's the day-to-day basis. There's the day-to-day stuff that I do. But yeah. I want to kind of do something. I want to do something, you know, leaving a legacy. Let me come to that. that. There are very few titles, job titles in the hairdressing world that carry with them the responsibility of keeping a legacy alive. Yeah. Uh, and and perhaps the most significant one is being the international creative director of Sassoon. And that's a title that's only ever been held by four other people. There was uh, Roger Thompson, the first one, uh, then Christopher Brooker, then Tim Hartley, and now yourself. Uh, how do you how do you think about that responsibility? Does that is that something that weighs heavy on you? No. I mean, I've, no, it's, it's – um, I don't want to say that I was born to do it because that sounds a bit grandiose, but yeah. when I joined Sassoon, I wanted to be a creative director. And I – there was something in me that immediately gravitated towards the way that the Sassoon work was. And I learned it and, you know, and I've practised it the whole of my, my working career. But there's something else about Sassoon that's super important. You know, I think there's something else about – all those amazing people, you included, that have that have contributed to the story, you know, mm. and obviously yes, Chris, Roger, Christopher, Tim, myself, we've kind of headed that up, and I think that it's important in the same way that the legacy of say Yves Saint Laurent is important, mm-hmm. or in the same way that the the legacy of Apple is and will be even more important as the, you know, as the years go. So I think there are certain brands that have such a presence in their industry. And actually, Sassoon is kind of beyond the industry, isn't it, with the, you know, with the consumer products and that sort of thing. So uh, as much as I'm very aware of what Sassoon, the name, means and how important it is and how important it is that I don't mess the whole thing up, Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, don't, don't rule that, Mark. Um, is that um, I've kind of worked with the company for so long that I think I intuitively know what the company's DNA is and what will be best for the company moving forward. And I, and it's kind of hard for me to describe, but you kind of feel it. You know, Vidal used to talk about the gut, feeling, you know, the gut, getting to the gut of yourself. I feel it there. And when someone comes up with an idea for me, and this goes back to a little bit about directing people, when they come up with an idea, I'll, I'll hear it and I'll be thinking of it, thinking about what they're saying, but I'll be feeling what they're saying as well. And if what they're saying feels right, then I'll go with it. If what they're saying doesn't feel right, I'll either suggest alternative, 
not alternatives, but suggest alterations mm-hmm. to make it work, or I'll dismiss it because it's just not, I know it's not going to work. So mm. I'm very careful with what I do because I know that if you, if you mess it up, it's very difficult to get it back again. And if you take a wrong step, pe- people follow what I do, obviously, because of what I represent in the company. So I've got to be very careful with what I do and what I agree to and what I stand for. And I've, I've been lucky enough to learn from so many diverse people. Mm. You know, everyone from, you know, obviously Vidal, you know, I work with Vidal quite a bit. Um, Christopher, of course, you know, Tim, absolutely. Annie Humphreys, um, mm. Philip Rogers, you know, in a, in a completely different way, Philip. Mm. But, and then people like yourself, Howard, Joel, you know, we could get the list is. Yeah, yeah, it goes on. Yeah, yeah. With I I can remember when I, you know, this is 1980 when I arrived there for a job interview, and I'd never seen anything like it because it was in head office, and there was there was a queue of people. There was there's at least 60, probably more like 80 people, down the staircase out onto the street queuing up for an interview for a position as a stylist, and and so they'd do a group interview with like these 60, 80 people, whatever. And they basically tell you how tough it was going to be to, to uh, weed out those people that weren't committed. And then they would get the people that were still interested, you know, back in for a 10-minute one-to-one interview. And uh, on the back end of that, they would decide who they were going to offer to go the next uh, stage. Now, yeah. what, what I want to say is it is not like that anymore. It's not like that for Sassoon. It's not like that for anybody. And and the number one thing I get asked, probably the number one thing these days, is about recruitment. And you sort of alluded to this a few minutes ago, and I said we'll come back to that. And, you know, recruitment is a huge challenge for salons everywhere. So the question I want to ask you is, why do you think that that is? And what do you think that we as an industry need to do to make a hairdressing career more desirable? Mm, it's a very good question. It's a million dollar question, actually. Mm. You know, it I, think, is, it? I mean, Draws, I think the reason yeah. the, the reason it isn't like that anymore is because there's more choice. You know, for the hairdressers in the world, I think there's more choice of people yeah. to go and work with. You know, whereas back in the day, and and also I think that that's testament to the success of the education that has been provided by not just by Vidal Sassoon, but by you know, lots of Tony and Guy, lots of different companies over the years that have that mm. have, you know, when you think when you think about how many hairdressers there are now, we've already spoken about, you know, four four or five of them that have gone out and and, and got very successful careers for themselves mm. and started their own businesses. So there so there's more options for people to go to um to work to work now. So that that's why there isn't the same sort of queue down the stairs. I'm not saying that Sassoon isn't still desirable, but it is a lot of effort and a lot of, you know. And when there was only that option, that's what, where you went. Yeah, but all, all over the all over the world, not just for Sassoon. It's yes, hard no, to absolutely. find people. Yeah, it's hard absolutely. to get people into this. Well, industry. I think. Yeah, well, get get. So there's there's two questions there, aren't there? Getting people in just into the industry in the first place, and then once they're in the industry, hmm. keeping them there. Yeah, <laughs> keep it yeah. there. You know what I mean. Getting them into the industry in the first place, you've got to make the industry desirable. You've got to make it credible. You've got to make it interesting. You've got to make it relevant. You've got to, as we said earlier, stop making it into some naff thing 
that people look at and think, Jesus, I wouldn't want to, you know, do that because it just looks silly. Yes. Yeah. Do, yeah. do, do. And I don't mean this, um, this isn't an attack on anybody, but do cool things, do things that, don't do things that make the industry look cheap and nasty and idiotic. That is you know, a really good point. Have, do you know what I mean? That, oh, totally. That's the biggest, yeah. that's mm. the biggest drawback. Mm. Um, because I think otherwise it's, you know, it's you and I have, you know, traveled the world. We've, you know, we've done amazing things, worked with amazingly interesting, exciting, you know, cool people and had mm. the great, you know, because everyone wants to have a good time, don't they? Whatever it is, you know, mm. unless you're kind of really weird. You just want to enjoy yourself, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So so if you can make the industry, and, and, and we do, to, to the most part, I think we do. I think, it, you know, we're recognized as hairdressers being, the most happy at work, aren't they? Apparently, with these mm. surveys. Yeah, apparently you see that all, all the time. Yeah, but but there's all there also has to be some kind of responsibility to 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 not make us look, you know, like like it's an industry like the stereotypical, you know, yeah. like an industry that you do if you can't do anything else sort of thing. Mm. Um, so I think there's a there's still more still more work to do there. Once you've got them into the industry, I think. You know, don't get bogged down. I mean, legislation and rules and you know all the all this stuff. I think is so debilitating to to a certain extent. You know, I've I've, I've been recently witness to some of the legislation that's been going on in the industry, and it really is the most boring stuff mm. in the world. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be, and it, it can suck the life out of people. So. You, you know, and I were not. You know, you and I came through the industry when you you were just taught how to cut hair, and yes, you yeah. were trained, of course, but you were trained in what you were going to do. You weren't trained in some abstract concept that really. It's like when you're at school, you you start getting you learn trigonometry. Now, unless yeah. you're going to be a physicist, I've never had to work out the hypotenuse angle of a triangle ever again. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So, yeah. so make it relevant, make it exciting, and make it. What's the word? Expedient is that a word? It's a good word. I'm not sure if it's the right word for this. Well, make, yeah. it, make, it fast, make it fast. So you progress yeah, through it. it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that that comes perfectly to something I want to talk about with with Gen Z in a, in a minute. But you know, you you said a minute ago, um, 65 years. You know, so Vidal opened his first salon in Bond Street 65 years ago, and that's before yeah. even you and I were born, right? <laughs> um, so, so what what I want to ask you about is, like, we've now both got children that are Gen Z. Mm -hmm. What does what does the Sassoon brand represent today to that 16 year old kid who wants to work at Sassoon or wants to be a hairdresser? What does it represent yeah. to them? Well, I think I think there's a few things. I think a probably they've never heard of them. You know, there, there's a lot of kids out there who've never heard of Vidal Sassoon, yes. which is a shame yeah. because what he did, obviously, as we know, you know, all of his all of his many achievements, the most of which was that modern hairdressing is down to him, pretty much. You know, in in terms of the way that he he redefined he was the first hairdressing superstar really wasn't he you know what i mean yeah. so so he put it on the map and made it into something that you know that you could do without the fear of being called the things we just said i think though that um i, I still think that you know even young people they want to they admire 
things that have relevance and meaning. You know, I, I don't think, you know, people sort of say, oh, you know, they want everything. You know, young people today, they want everything now. They want everything. Mm. They don't want to work for anything. And I don't think that's true. I think that they yeah, get a bad, yeah, bad breath. I think, yes, they mm. want things quickly mm. because they're used to a world that operates on yeah. internet speed. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. And my you daughter's 20, the- you know, my daughter's 20. Bloody hell, how old is she? She's, she was born in 1997. Yeah. So 23. She's 23. Yeah. So, and the internet was commercialised in 1995, wasn't it, I think, or something like that. So yeah, thereabouts. She, yeah. She's lived in the world. She's never lived in a world that didn't, didn't have access to internet and didn't yeah. have access to mobile phones. So naturally, they're used to things happening quickly. So I don't think they're any less, they're, they're just as into cool things and interesting things and they're absolutely prepared to work hard for stuff they're absolutely prepared and i you know my two children are exactly this they but they expect things to be delivered in a way that is is accessible timely relevant to the point and authentic, authentic. and expedient we'll, we'll put that word in there and yeah ex- expedient yeah, it's so, nicer than some of the words we use when we talk to each other. Yes. <laughs> Go on. So um, that that sort of you know you've already touched on this at the very beginning. You said we started doing you know uh, Sassoon online at the beginning of lockdown, etc. Yeah. Um, despite lockdown, you were obviously heading in that direction already. How is technology? And Gen Z, all these things we're talking about, mobile phones, the internet, it's like the perfect storm. How is technology changing education at Sassoon, both internally for your own people and externally because schools are a big part of your business? Well, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's kind of, I think it's yet to be realized in its entirety. I think because hairdressing Traditionally, it's about physically being in contact with another human being, isn't it? That's kind of what the, what the industry is mm. based on. So I think it's it's I think people have got a kind of tricky, not tricky. That's not the right word. People have taken a while to come round to the fact that actually, you know what? You don't have to be in the same room to learn what you need to learn at the very outset. So I so I think technology is a little bit embryonic at the moment to a certain extent. There's a few people that are ahead of the game, I think, mm. um, right now. Sassoon is bringing, I think Sassoon will snowball quite quickly, you know, because I think we sort of, we're, I don't want to say we're slow, but we we put so much emphasis on when you come to the academy, you work on live models, you don't work on mannequins, you work on real people, mm. because we, it, we felt that was important. And, you know, coming to the academy, coming to London, you immerse yourself in the culture of Sassoon, not just the techniques it said. You immerse yourself yeah. into the whole, as you said earlier, when you come to the Sassoon, it was like a, a kind of mini, you know, we create our own atmosphere. <laughs> it's, mm. Sassoon, it's like this world. And I think I've, I remember when I first saw the Helmut Lang show in 1998, and he did it in, in a studio in New York. And he did it, and no one else, a photographic studio, and there was no one in the room. There were just models walking up and down in these beautiful Helmut Lang clothing. And he put it over the internet. And mm. I, I remember going into Philip Rogers, the managing director at the time, saying, we have to do an in, a show on the internet. And he looked at me, and he, in his typical, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and how much is that going to cost? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you know, you and who's army. That's what he kind of came out with. So since 1998, I have known that the yeah. internet is the absolute future of education. In yeah. not totally. every instance, but but mm. absolutely. If you you know, if you're a young hairdresser in I don't know in India somewhere, mm. and the the economy, the you know the difficulty of travel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you want to edu- be educated at Sassoon. You have to. It's it's impossible. It's hmm. just impossible. So if if we can make that accessible to yeah. young hairdressers in out in the world, then I'm absolutely 100 percent all for it. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. It, it, it the is. academy, you know, listen. The academy will still be there. Obviously, the academy will still be there for now. Whether it yeah. will be in the future, I, you know, I don't know. Hmm. But I think. I always draw the analogy that it's like football. You know, watching a football match. I always go back to that. <laughs> but you know, there are certain people who will want, always want to go to the stadium to experience the atmosphere, the yeah. drama, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They'll always want to make that effort. Other people are quite happy to turn the TV on and get twenty-five different camera angles and the commentary and, yeah. the, and watch it that way. And yeah, that's the analogy. And the, and the warm yeah. at home with a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. And, you, yeah. Know, you know. So and, and I kind of flip between the two. Sometimes it's nice to put an album on and listen to whoever it is. Sometimes it's nice to go and watch them live and hear the songs live, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, but but I, but I think no. I mean, if if you're asking me about the future, Sassoon Online, online education, is going to be over the next five, ten years will be massive. Well, it is now, but it will be. It awesome. is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Mark, we yeah. just launched. I know I was telling you before we started recording. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just launched our first online course, you know, uh, Melinda and I, my wife and business partner. And we have people from 26 different countries that have signed up for that. Yeah. And, and in a lot of cases, those, a lot of those people would never have been able to attend a seminar because exactly. of the cost involved and travel and, and the cost of lives of real face to face education is expensive all- to put on. Exactly, and it's also the hidden costs. Yeah, you know, when yeah. you're, you know, when you're coming to do a course, you've got to leave your business, so the yep. business, you know, all that's exactly all that. So stuff, I mean, yeah. you know, if you think in London, you do a course, say it's a grand, you know, a thousand pounds for a course for five days, for argument's sake, it's going to cost you about five thousand to be in London, probably for that. Yeah, week. yeah. And then there's the hidden costs of, you know, so it's it, it's an expensive business. It is. It's an expensive thing. Yeah. And and I think what we're what we're kind of not struggling with, but what we're developing is the awareness of like, okay, you want to teach someone how to do these, whatever it is, particular things. How yeah. does it, how does it change from being in person to being online? You know, obviously in person, you do an eight hour day yeah. in the academy. You know, you start at 10 and you finish at five, six, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You can't eight, do an eight, eight hour hours day. online. You yeah, can't do never online, gonna happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to modify what you're going to do and you have to give mm. the students certain amounts of things to do at home in their own time, mm. you know. And and in some ways, to be honest, Anthony, you can make it more interesting because mm. you can say to them, you know, okay, so we, we've talked this morning about what cutting lines and we've talked about the Bauhaus or whatever. You go away now and watch, you know, the story of the Bauhaus. By, so, you know, and they do their own research. So in a way, it kind of opens up the whole education experience into something different that it would be if they were in a classroom for eight hours and mm. by the time they finish that eight hours they just want to go and have a drink or go and collapse in their hotel room yeah exactly so well you know you, you said at the beginning about that uh ted talk about flow as soon as we get off this call that'll be something that i'll 
I'll search on, on yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. TED Talks. <laughs> Let's just hope I can find you it. See, <laughs> you see if you can work out the guy's surname, though. It is the okay. most, It's one of those that starts with, like, five consonants, like M, T, X, Y. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you know, we, we, we don't have long left here, and I wanted to ask you a couple of things that I think are important. What, what, one of them is that... You know, you and I both travel a lot and we get to see how the industry is different in different countries. And, and one yeah. of the things that has really changed a lot in the last the last 10 years is the salon suite model, particularly in the United States and particularly in California. It's had a huge impact. And it, it's not just in the United States. It's not just California. It's, again, it's a perfect storm that's sort of driven by the Internet. It's driven by uh, social media. It's driven by the fact that with an iPhone now, you can take payment on an iPhone. People can book on the iPhone. You, you can do all your marketing on the iPhone. So what it's enabled is this business unit of one. So what I wanted to ask you about is as a company, you've got salons in the UK, you've got salons in the US and Canada and Germany. Are they evolving differently are you are you um, looking at embracing different business models is there room to embrace different business yeah, models like, absolutely you know no. what, what's happening with all that absolutely i think you know all of those things you know the kind of the idea of changing the way that traditional hairdressing salons operate is yeah. you know you've got to haven't you whether you yeah. whether you whether, i mean i'm into it to be honest i'm into looking at how people can have a more flexible approach to the way they come to work uh, you know for whatever reason whether it's for children family or because you've got other interests as well i think you know gone are, i think those those are the things that have changed i think gone are the days where people would come in at nine o'clock i mean when i started you start at 8 30 you finished yeah. at six and that was it and you were closed on sunday and sometimes monday yeah you know now seven days a week that was one of the big things and that was what 30 40 40 years ago now sunday trading Mm. And everyone threw their arms up in horror at it. All, every, all of a sudden, everyone was super religious. I can't work on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> can't work on a Sunday. I have yeah. to get up and go to mass or whatever. But, you know, so that changed. And then, and then we had extended hours. You know, you, you were open, open longer in the day, so shift systems. And, so it's a natural evolution. So you have to embrace it, you know. Yeah. But I personally think there's a way to – and the fear is that then employees – well, they're not employees your team become disconnected from each other and they're just individuals that come and do the thing and split. But yeah. I think because Sassoon has this culture, for want of a better word, I think there's a way that you can give people the flexibility that they, that they desire, look at people as individual businesses, which I think is great for both, both areas. You know, it's good for if, if someone, because obviously in the past, people, stylists have been, okay, I'm here, I'm a stylist, give me clients. And the business was supposed to be providing them with their living by providing yeah. them with clients. Whereas now it's much more about the, the individual generating their own business. So, so why shouldn't they benefit from that in a different way to the, to the old mm. model? Absolutely they should. I just, I I, what I would like to do with Sassoon is to find a way that those that the individual business model and the being into the, the work model kind of coexist. Mm. So for argument's sake, there may be events that happen periodically, once a month, once every couple of weeks, where the team will come together and say, right, we're going to talk about the new collection or, I don't know, whatever it is, I don't know, an educational yeah. thing. So you get the best of both worlds. And then they go off and they do their own thing. And when they come to work, it's on their terms. 
in their time. And, you know, I mean, I'm an idealist, but I'm sure it's not quite as simple as that. But it could, I think it could be. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. And I'm. It has to evolve. It can't stay yeah. the way it was because that won't and, work anymore. And Vidal, you know, listen, Vidal was one of the biggest disruptors in the industry. I and mean, when you think totally. about it, he, totally. you know, yeah. he, he kind of chucked everything that was out and brought everything that is in. Hmm. So I totally believe in that. And, and again, it goes back to, you know, I feel in my gut that that's the right thing to do. Hmm. That's the right thing to do, but but you know without a doubt, because otherwise you end up being out of step and, and irrelevant. And I think mm. irrelevance is the biggest enemy of being around for so long. You know that's exactly the, yeah. That's yeah. the kind of that's the double edged sword, if you like, of being the sixty five years and you're amazing. Yeah. You know, but the, the the other side of the sword is well, so what? Great, yeah, it's, but, it's about having the courage to reinvent. Yeah, constantly exactly. reinvent. Exactly. So, and, and if you look at Suzuki, that's what he did. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what's know. happened continuously with with every you know uh, a generation that come along. They've they've reinvented it to keep that relevance. So, and listen, we need to. Gonna, and to be honest, that's what's going to yeah. make to your point earlier about the industry. That's also another another aspect of what's going to make it attractive to people to come into it and stay in it when yeah. they can have this degree of flexibility and whatever the flexibility ends up being like. It would be yeah, different. yeah different people but um you know that's another aspect of it don't be afraid of change yeah embrace it okay i've, I've got some laughing? quick You're smiling. I've, I've, I've got some <laughs> i've got some quick fire um questions for you with with sort of oh, one God. or two word answers uh you that i want to put through to you yeah 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 that, that was why i was smiling i hope <laughs> um I no i, lo- I love listening to you no not at all and no, you, you have great things to say so i have just let you run with it because uh, <laughs> uh i'm assuming that people enjoy listening to you talk as it. much as i do because i, I love the insights that you have it's well, we, we we may have to, yeah. So, so here's, here's the first one. What's All your right. biggest What's your biggest strength? Oh, humour. Good. Okay. All right. What, what? 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 Well, no, I think that's really important to get through everything. God, if you didn't have a sense of humour at the moment, then you'd be in trouble. Uh, what? What drives you? Responsibility. Hmm, okay. How do you don't say what rel- you like that for? No, no, because it's surprising. <laughs> I've got no idea what you're going to come out with. I think I think that's great what? responsibility. Uh, how do you stay relevant? How do you reinvent yourself? Oh blimey! Uh, I think be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Okay. In this, uh, <laughs> yeah, carry on. <laughs> no, 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 I agree. I think I think it's a great answer. That, that was three words anyway. True to yourself. <laughs> no, I think I think the thing is, if you try and follow fads and try and you know try and make yourself relevant you probably won't end up being that you've got to be you've got to believe in what you do and if you do whether you know whether it makes you relevant i think you've got a greater chance of being relevant if you're true to yourself i think you've probably got a bigger chance of being irrelevant as well (laughs) yeah it could be but that could also dovetail into the next question which is what what's the biggest lesson sorry sorry Hang on, before yeah. we go, what I mean, <laughs> what we were talking about earlier about, you know, changing the way the salon business model. Yeah. That's being, that to me, that's being true to yourself because you believe it's right and yeah. you'll do it. You know, that's yeah. what I mean. Go on. Yeah. And having the courage to do it, to evolve. To do it, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life? Not necessarily in hairdressing. Just, just what's like, you know, the one bit of advice you'd give, so to speak. Be empathic. 
be empathic. Yeah. So, you know, have, have empathy for other people because yeah. I think certainly now when I look back on things, yeah. Sorry, that was two words. Be empathic. I'm not. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm not going to enlarge on any answer now. I'm okay. Give two words. That's it. All right. Well, that's the challenge then. Uh, when, when things don't work out for you, how do you overcome adversity? I'm just trying to think of two words. All things pass. All <laughs> things. Yeah. Word. Yeah. This 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 you know, two shall pass sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. You know, no, no, the, not the letting great... it destroy you. Not letting it define you. Yeah, it's difficult when you're in it, but essentially, yeah, don't, uh, yeah, don't obsess over it. Yeah, don't obsess. Okay, that'll do me. Uh, what do you wish you were better at? Oh, lots of things. Uh, what do I wish I was better at? I wish I was. I wish I was less impatient. But I kind of feel as though, as you get to beyond sixty, you kind of think. I almost feel like the clock's speeding up now, and I yeah. want to get things done. So I think, oh, I wish I was better at lo- loads of things, to be honest, Anthony. Dressing air. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Lots of, I, I, I get extremely frustrated, but I can't do something well in the first instance. I'm, sort of, I'm too old now to spend ages learning something. I'm so bad. It, sound, it makes me sound terrible. But I do want to be really good at things. When I, if I've set my heart on something, I want to get really good at it. So I'm sometimes yeah. impatient. Impatient. I'm impatient. That's all right. to do so. Okay. So if, if you could, last one, if you could go back and give the, you know, the 16-year-old Marquez one bit of advice at the beginning of your career, what would that be? Stop smoking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say to Jamie now, stop smoking. Um, no, what would I say? I would probably say, what the bleeding hell have you done your ear? No, I would say... Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think now. I'm trying to think back to that kid. I would say, I'd think, of, I mean, this is going to sound really weird. I would probably say, don't worry, you are good enough. Yeah. You are, and I, w- I wouldn't say you're going to get there, but I would say you are good enough to be there. You're good enough to be there. Don't worry, you know, you're good enough. Because there is, anyway, that's it. That's my answer. You're yeah, no, I think I, th- I think it's a good answer. I think it's good for everyone to take on board. Okay. Well, listen, I, I, I could talk to you uh, for a lot longer, and I'm sure we will on, when then. we stop recording. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I do need to uh, to wrap things up. So wh- where, where can people connect with you on Instagram or any other social media channels? Instagram, Mark H. Sassoon. Mark H. Sassoon. Okay. Mark H. Sassoon, um, yeah. Anywhere else? That's it. That's it? Well, okay. Sassoon, well. Sassoon online, com. Yeah. Pretty much cool. my, my social media engagement is through Sassoon. Do you know what I mean? Right. I'm okay. going to get better at it, though. Yeah, I, I will. Yeah, that's what I'm going to get better at, social okay. media. Okay. <laughs> I will, I'll hold you to that, and I'll, I'll put All those right. links uh, on our website, which is growmysalonbusiness.com, and in the show notes for today. Any final words, Mark? Ten or less. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just listen. I think the industry, the industry is, you know, for, for those out there who who are, you know, listening into this, the the industry is amazing. The world we're going through at the moment is a, is a complete, you know, it's a complete nightmare. But it will pass, and it, we will get back to some good times. So I think yeah. just enjoy yourself. You know, just enjoy what you do. Have a great time. I've certainly had a great time, apart from the last hour and a half, but. Other than that, it's been. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm joking. Okay. Well, Enjoy. if you're if you're listening to this podcast with Mark Hayes and have enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. And if I could ask you to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, just scroll to the bottom of the page, select ratings and reviews and write a review. We'd be very appreciative. So uh, to wrap up, Mark Hayes, thank you very much for being <laughs> on this episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. We uh, There's one thing I'm very aware of that, that we didn't talk about history at all and you know your background and Vidal hardly came up and you and I did an interview five years ago um uh and it wasn't on this podcast but I'm thinking I might re-release that because there was it was like your early years and there was a lot of talk in there about Vidal and I think a lot of people would find it very interesting so uh look out for that at some stage as well so uh to wrap up Marques thank you very much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast Cheers, Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success. 